Blog Talk Radio. Beatles fans, it's Jennifer Vanderslice, and welcome to episode 12 of I Saw the Beatles. This week, I have a very special guest who I met at um, a Fest for Beatles fans uh, show in Chicago, I believe, when her book had just come out. And there she was, alone at her table with this book. It was as cute as can be. She's as cute as can be. Um Let's see, uh, looking at the book inside, that was 2014, because I can't remember what years things happen. So anyway, let's welcome Dee Elias and talk about what she did during Beatlemania and talk about her book, Confessions of a Beatlemaniac. Hi, Dee, how are you? Hi, Jen and everybody. I'm doing great, considering this crazy world. I'm doing great. Thank you. Hey, we do what we can do. I started a podcast because of this crazy world. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, how to find something to do with myself. Um, how, how's Santa Barbara? Um, we're doing okay here. You know, everybody's um, following the precautions, wearing the masks, you know, and uh, most of the people are, you know, and we're, we're, close to LA but we don't have the numbers like LA has so we're okay Jen we're all doing the best we can that's great okay so your story starts when in uh, 1964 you hear the Beatles for the first time on the radio it stops you in your tracks as you're getting out of a car Mm -hmm. Uh, why don't you go on from there and tell us it's, tell us everything. Well, not every little thing. We'll try to get every little thing in the story, but you know, where where to go from there? From the moment you heard this band play on the radio. Uh, you know, I was so lucky, Jen, because I was the perfect age, fourteen years old. Um, so I got to experience the Beatlemania, especially those three years that they toured the United States, sixty-four, sixty-five, and sixty-six. So I was in the heart of it. I was a crazy Beatle maniac. Um, why the girls and guys went so crazy over the Beatles, I don't know the exact reason. It was magic at the time. But it was just the right time, I guess, and place for them. And I was the right age. And we all needed something, I think. Um, unfortunately, Kennedy had been assassinated just a few months before they came to the States, the Beatles. And I think we were all searching at that time. And, and I guess being 14, too, you're young, you start thinking about boyfriends and things like that. So here comes these four guys from Liverpool that were absolutely adorable. They had a new sound that we weren't used to. Um, it gave us something to look forward to and be excited about. And I think also with all the, the heavy um, – promotion by the radio stations and the newspapers and and all that that really built up the excitement for their arrival uh, in February of 64 on the Ed Sullivan show and for the concerts to follow so I was your diehard Beatlemaniac I was the one you'd see on those old films I'd be screaming and you know pass out and they'd have to carry her away (laughs) yes you know it was all part of it 
I'm glad I didn't miss any of it. So you, so let's, let's, even though you're in Santa Barbara now, this is all happening right uh-huh. outside of Cleveland for you. That's where you grew yes. up, right? Yes. And was according to your book, you even cried during the Ed Sullivan show. Oh, of course. Oh, I wasn't the only one, Joan. I mean, we had been anticipating them on this show for so long. We hadn't seen them live, you know, and actually moving. We all only saw pictures and heard their song, I'm Going to Hold Your Hand. So this was like an incredible moment to actually see them live and moving. And, you know, I, it's beyond words. You know, when you just felt so, so, so much more in love with them and their sound um, that you couldn't help but cry and scream and be excited. And, again, I wasn't the only one <laughs> that felt that way. Right. But something something different clicked in you because I've never heard a story like when I read your book. I was just amazed at the extent that you and your friends went to to try to meet them. I mean, you guys were sneaking around everywhere, parking garages, back steps, boiler <laughs> rooms. Um, and in 19 let's see in 1964 when they came to uh to Cleveland um you guys were actually mapping out how you were going to get in there to see them um yes <laughs> tell us a little bit about about some of the things you did to try and get you know get to meet them get to see them close sure. up sure you know um I don't know how I got through high school because most of the whole time was a, was absorbed with Beatles and this Beatlemania and what they were doing and, you know, everything that was happening. Um, uh, the, you know, the, wanting to meet them, for me, I'm a very goal-oriented kind of person, which I've learned, you know, in my life. Mm-hmm. But uh, my goal was they had affected me so much in so many ways. Um, and actually inspired the rest of my life uh, after this whole Beatlemania experience and actually getting to meet them. Um, I I had to meet them because they influenced me in so many ways. I wanted them to know I existed. I don't know. I just felt like I wanted them to know I existed. And I just wanted, wanted to them to just one-on-one. Yeah. Just acknowledge you. And you know what? That was, like, impossible, Jen. I was a little farm girl outside of Cleveland. They were the world-famous Beatles. How in the heck was I ever going to meet them? I'd be thinking about this, and I'd be thinking about ways that I could meet these incredible people. And, you know, and, and, and I, you know, wrote down ways I could do it, and then I would try to implement those ways, like trying to be famous like they were. And I started a little girls' group and tried to be singers and wrote songs, and that didn't get very far. Um, you know, uh, I would, um, uh, of course, enter every kind of contest there ever was to meet the Beatles, mm-hmm. sending in hundreds and hundreds of postcards, hoping that would do it. Um, you know, um uh, you had an idea. I mean, there, there were the ideas that didn't work that you talk about in your in your book. Now we do have to preface it by saying that you drew you wrote this book up after finding your diary, 
from from high school. So yeah, when you went, you know, yeah, I did. I kept a diary by chance from '64. Uh, it was a five-year diary, so I was able to document everything that happened and what I was feeling. So, and whenever I went to a concert, I would write up a little paper so I'd remember every little detail. Um, just for my own memory. And then it wasn't until a ca- couple of years after I met them, I thought, you know what, I should write everything down so I don't forget what this was like. And I did. And my manuscript I only gave to a couple of my close girlfriends. I didn't dare tell my parents what I had done mm-hmm. those past years. <laughs> you know, and, um, and it wasn't until just, um, what, two when did it come out? 2004. It wasn't until maybe five, six years ago that I met a publisher and I mentioned my manuscript. Still, it was loose papers, you know, and he said, let's publish it. And that's how it happened. So I had everything written down as I wrote it as a very young person, fresh in my mind. Um, and then I drew little cartoons to add to the feelings. And that's how that came about. Um, yes. but back, so in this, in this book, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, I had to meet them, Jen. And I tried for those three years they were touring the States, different ways that I thought I could meet them, you know, and nothing was working, of course. And it wasn't until I had to take, I call it criminal methods or fraudulent methods <laughs> that actually got to them, you know, where I had to make up phony press passes and pretend I was somebody I wasn't and blah, blah, right. blah, blah, well, blah, after lie, you know. But after, the, yeah, but after, after, but you have to realize that, and what you mentioned in the book is that a lot of radio stations and newspapers at the time were hiring teenagers to represent their newspaper and attend the concerts to give firsthand, you know, accounts from a teenager's point of view of how to, you know, how, what it was like. They wanted to hear the teenagers' thoughts, so they would, you know, give them a press pass and send them in and uh, hopefully get them to get an interview with the Beatles and stuff like that. So you knew you knew this was going on. You just at the time yes, weren't able to actually convince somebody. <laughs> yes, I did. So I had to make up my own press pass because I, wa- I wasn't able to get those jobs. <laughs> so I made <laughs> my own the, press pass the same and time, laminated I mean, it and had my picture and everything. <laughs> You had you. It was it was very clever. I mean, you you talk about ideas of oh, you were going to dress up like old ladies to get into the hotel to get past the security because old ladies they would never suspect. And you talk about you and your friends all trying to dress up, and you talk about making it to the roof of of the hotel or I don't remember if it was the hotel oh, we or the. Gonna, oh, we were going to go a couple of days before the concert because we we knew everything about the hotel. We knew everything about the where they were performing. This is that first year at, at uh, public auditorium. And we were going to hide underneath the stage for two days and take food and then come out when they were on stage. You know, we would do goofy things. <laughs> we would go break into public halls. That's how bad we were. When nobody was there, we'd break into the public hall and practice from where we thought our seats would be, running to the stage, fighting the police and jumping up on stage. We would We'll be, you know, map this out and plan it, you know, things like that. Um, <laughs> and the idea we, of camping on the roof. You were going to camp on the roof for oh, yeah, for, we were going to do that for three days. Too. There was, and then we were going to come down. That was um, 
the rooftop was the hotel. We were going to, and we had a key. We were so bad, Jen. We had taken a key from a, a room that was open at the hotel while the, may, the housekeeping was cleaning. We went in there and took the key when they didn't know. Oh, we were so bad. And we were going to come down from off the roof and go down to the mezzanine floor where we knew they were staying and come in that way. You know, and say we had a room to the that we were had a room at the hotel, and we thought, yeah, we got caught. We thought we were gonna <laughs> go to jail on that one. They always let us go though because we we're crying and we were young and we begged forgiveness and they'd let us go. But we were scared many, many times when the we were apprehended in our <laughs> escapades. Oh my God! Uh, um, and along the and along the way, you end up meeting Sonny and Cher, Simon and Garfunkel. Yes, Yes, when we made our phony press passes, when I made them, I thought, you know, we better, let's test this out and get our story down good. And because of that, my story got very good. I almost believed it myself, you know. Um, we uh, got to meet Simon and Garfunkel and Sonny and Cher and Peter and Gordon and Paul Revere and the Raiders and who else, Bobby Jameson. So it worked very well for us, these little passes and my story. I learned so you were te- So you tested them out on not- other bands. Oh yeah, we tested them uh, when um, they had time. tested. Yeah, to make sure that this would work for the big day. <laughs> yeah, so it, it just it, it it just amazes me that you had you had the foresight to practice and plan. And I know. I mean, you weren't just you weren't just the screaming. We're gonna you know we're gonna play you know. Uh, Red Rover with the police to break through their arms, you know, sudden thing, burst in, and then just haphazardly figure out once we get past them how we're getting to the room. Just keep running. You planned everything you did. Yes. And you, and, I mean, as you said, even even timing the run from your row in the in the stadium <laughs> to how far it would get to the stage and what it would take the running you would have to take to get through those police and onto that stage. It, it, as I said, you planned everything. So along comes 1966 and yeah. the Beatles are coming back to Cleveland, right? Yes. And where are they playing at this time? There was Cleveland. a stadium this time, the Cleveland stadium. Now, how in the world did you get to their hotel room? You know, it was a lot of planning, but it was also a lot of luck. It was divine intervention, I call it, at that <laughs> point. Um, you know, they, I don't know if you're familiar with the law of attraction, but if you think about something long enough and you want something bad enough and you feel like you're already there and you can envision it, it will happen. And I think that's exactly what happened. Even though we planned everything, um, and I, I can go into that, but once we got to that point where it was either we're going to meet them or we're going to get kicked out of the hotel, that's when I think this law of attraction kicked in, and we had divine intervention, and we were able to um, get into the room at that point. Um, we we did the press passes, my friend Paulette and I. She was my main um, partner in this, mm-hmm. and um uh, we had our press passes, and we went to the, the hotel out, you know, at the bottom floor there where all the police were protecting the doors, and it was a mob of girls, mm-hmm. and just went up to the police, you know, and said, hi, we're here for the press conference, and I showed them our, our fake credentials, 
and they didn't question anything. They let us right in the hotel, which that was a major step, even getting into the hotel. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty scary. But we were in shock. We went into shock mode, I think, at that point. And then we took the elevator up to the mezzanine floor where we knew they were because they had been waving mm-hmm. out the window, and that's where they had been in 64. And when the elevator opened, there were all these guards. They're huge. They look like huge men to us because <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. we were little. Right? And um, they didn't even want to hear about our press passes or who we were. They just wanted us out of there. And I, Paulette was holding the elevator door open so it wouldn't shut on us. And I kind of stepped onto the floor trying to convince them we needed to be there. And this is when divine intervention happened. At that very point when we could have been thrown back on the elevator and out of the hotel, and that was the end of the story, instead, Paul McCartney walked by at that very moment. And we said, Paul, we have a present for you, which we did. We had a big present. And Mm -hmm. um, he stopped. And when he stopped and acknowledged us, the the guards let us go. They stopped bothering us. And uh, Paul started opening our present. And I said, but it's for all of you because my friend Paulette was in love with Ringo. And so Mm -hmm. he took us back to the hotel room. And uh, they checked out what was inside the box and the guard outside their room, and uh, it was okay, good to go. It was an innocent, innocent present, and uh, we went inside the room. Now, mind you, this whole time we're in shock. It's all, like, just happening, but you're not thinking about what's happening. You're just experiencing it, mm-hmm. and John came, John came over to us, and he was very, very friendly. He was the friendliest. And he just said, mm-hmm. hi, I'm John, your name? Or no, he said, um, I'm Joshua. Or wait, I, wait. He, I know. He said to Paulette, hi, what's your name? She said, Paulette, what's yours? And he said, Joshua. You know, it was very cute. And he said, I mm-hmm. saw you walking down the street with your big present. And we were like, oh, that's nice, you know. And, um, and Paul, you know, Paul was nice as well, but he wasn't into us as much as John was, like, wanting to get to know who we were. And George mm-hmm. was sitting right there on the telephone. And Ringo, unfortunately, they said was in the other room talking to his wife or whatever. It was a few hours before the concert. And um, they, so we never saw Ringo. I felt bad for Paulette at that time. We didn't see <laughs> And uh, George, we never talked to him because he was on the phone. But we interacted with Paul and John. And they were very nice. And we shook their hands. And when I shook Paul's hand, who was the beetle at the time that I was in love with, mm-hmm. that, I think, when I looked at his eyes and he was holding my hand, I think that's the first time I kind of, God, I'm, I'm holding Paul's hand and I'm looking at him in real life. <laughs> and he, he kind of had to pull away, Jen. He had to pull away because I was kind of like frozen in time. Um <laughs> And then their, Neil Aspinall, their, their manager or road manager, whatever his title was, I don't remember, he said we had to go. They had to get ready for the concert and all that kind of thing. So I had my little old brownie camera with the flash, and I took a quick picture of George on the phone, and uh, I had taken one of Paul and John, and, and then we got kind of escorted out of there, you know. And unfortunately, the brownie camera, um, as we were running, 
outside to tell friends what had happened, fell down, broke apart, fell out of my hands, broke apart. And the only picture we were able to get was George on the phone, which I'm very happy because nobody believed our story until I showed them the picture. Um, So (laughs) it was a dream come true, which inspired me the rest of my life because I knew if I, little D, Elias, farm girl from Ohio, Cleveland could meet the world famous Beatles. If I could do that, I, I could do anything. So oh, yeah. my life, whenever I've tried to start a business or whatever creative idea I had, and people would say, "Oh, you can't do that. The economy's terrible," or "You can't do that. You don't have enough money." I'd say, "But you don't understand. I met the Beatles." <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, I, I, yeah. I couldn't so, imagine having that kind of courage. I know, I know. I sometimes I think, who are you? <laughs> Why did you? Yeah, do I think but it was fun. It was a great story, and it did inspire the rest of my life and my thinking. So I did it, and I I feel like I represent all the fans, though so all the especially the female fans that all have the dream of meeting the Beatles someday and shaking their hands. It actually right. happens for me. so. I I want all the fans to know that I made it, you guys. But I was there for all of us, you know. Right. Was, and for those a, of us, and for those of us who thing. were, who were born too late, and didn't get to experience it first. I still yeah. have time to meet Paul. Um, my 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 <laughs> thought on meeting Paul is I don't know if I'd actually want to meet him because I don't know what to say. I've had, you know. 40 years to think about this and I would not 40 years. I still don't know what I would say to him. So, you know, that's, that's all I've got, you know, but I live vicariously through all of your stories. Um, If anyone wants to pick up a copy of Dee's book, it's called confessions of a Beatlemaniac. Her name is Dee Elias. You can look on Amazon, but if you'd like a signed copy um, Dee is more than happy to send you one uh, for actually less than it costs on uh, Amazon. Uh, Dee, yeah. um, how, how, how would people get in touch with you to inquire about getting a copy of your book? Because it's incredible. Everybody has to read this story. Oh, yeah. Well, I hope they find it to be funny and see what it was like at that time and also bring back memories for those that did experience. Um, just email me. I'd love to hear from from everybody and their stories too but my email is d e e e l like larry i a like apple s like sam number one at yahoo so it's my name d elias one at yahoo.com and i'd love to hear from everybody that's great and i hope everybody gets a chance to pick up this book it's only 166 pages but there's so much inside of it of what she did for three years to uh, get to see the Beatles, there's it's it's a lot packed into a, into these pages. Um, thank you so much, Dee. It was wonderful talking to you and reliving those stories of yours. And um, I hope you get to meet Paul again before. I I hope so, and I'm going to ask him if he remembers me. <laughs> One I'm can sure only hope. <laughs> One can only hope. I things know. seem things I seem know. to happen for you. Anyway, thank you so much. Well, it's been a pleasure, and uh, thank you so much, Jen. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you.
Thank you. And everybody, have a good evening. Until next time. <laughs>